Welcome to SVU Pod, especially heinous. I'm Gabe. I'm Tasha. We are on season five, episode 18, Careless. Okay, so the opening scene, we're at a hospital, paramedics are bringing in a six-year-old boy on a stretcher. He's fucking out cold and has a slow pulse. Apparently, he collapsed at church, and his dad is following behind them while they go in the emergency room. Okay, couple things. The ER nurse is Nurse Carrie Hutchins. Okay, she plays this character in 13 episodes of SVU. I just love that they have tangential Mm. people Mm -hmm. on the periphery that are reoccurring people. It's like, yes, we go to the ER. Fucking Nurse Carrie is always here. That's what nurses do. Work round the fucking clock. And the dad is an immediately recognizable actor. He was Vince Howard's dad in the Mm -hmm. series Friday night lights which i loved he was george in never been kissed you know the the tech dude that wires drew barrymore and stays behind Mm -hmm. the scenes while she goes to school and her teacher engages in a Mm -hmm. ridiculously disturbing relationship that we all thought was adorable in the 90s (laughs) the dude had the mediocre white guy audacity to feel betrayed when he found out she was a journalist in her mid 20s (laughs) and that she wasn't a 17 year old girl i know yes you betrayed me you were grooming a child guy i was trying not to (laughs) but i forgave her so not weird at all back to the high school how i met your mother Uh. (laughs) i was 30 she was 16 it was fucked it was weird turns out she was 25 though she lied to me she was actually 25 what a liar (laughs) yeah Also, this guy, the dad, he's legit black lightning and all of the DC shit. He's Scooter from Living Single. Mm. We're four seconds Mm. in. So yeah, he's following behind them, panicking. They go into an emergency room and the lady's like, wait outside. Inside the room, the boy's pulse stops. They're going to cut his chest open to start his heart. And then just as they start cutting, the dad comes into the room and he's freaking out, of course. Dr. Chuni asks him what the boy took. Did he take any poisons or detergents? The dad said that the boy only had a glass of milk before bed. And they fucking tell him to get out, but he doesn't. Chuni asks the paramedic how long he's been down. And she says the boy's been down for almost 30 minutes. Ugh. Chuni stops cutting and tells the dad that there's nothing more they can do. Now, Benson and Toots are talking with Dr. Chuni. They're at the hospital. The boy collapsed at a midnight service at the Church of Divine Blessing. The doc said they did everything they could to revive him, but he was DOA. I thought it was weird that they said he was DOA because at the beginning, they're like, he's got a really weak pulse. Yeah. And then in this emergency room, they were like, oh, his pulse stopped. Or maybe he had a really weak pulse when they were bringing him in or they thought he did. I don't know. I don't know. It was weird. Just one of those like writing Mm. things. So she uncovers the boy's face and it's Jamie Semple, his name is. Benson asks what the cause of death is. The doctor has her suspicions, but tells him to wait for the ME to determine it. Dr. Chuni thinks Jamie was physically abused. He has this weird indentations on his chest. Benson looks at the indentations under a magnifying glass and they seem to be partial finger impressions that include a ring mark, which is super weird how clear it was. I'm like, why is it like... Then we find out later why it was so... Yeah. Benson borrows the camera at the hospital, which looks like (laughs) one of those underwater marine biology cameras. Did you notice that? Yes, I did. Because I was like, that camera looks like it would be on the spaceship in the movie WALL-E. You know that Pixar movie? Yes, yeah. And the people floating around the chairs with their jumbo drinks and stuff. That would be a camera that they would use. Yeah, it looked like something that somebody would take pictures of octopi underwater. It was like right. just gigantic. That's a deep sea camera. James Cameron has the same camera. <laughs> yeah, they used it in the movie The Abyss. <laughs> God, that's such a good movie. Dr. Chuni says the parents are still in the waiting room. Toots wonders why they brought the boy to church so fucking late. And they were like, oh, Dr. Chuni says they were praying over him. And I'm like, fucking great. One of these fucking episodes. It, it wasn't really one of these episodes, actually. But that's what mm. I thought. Theme song. <laughs> Bing bong. <laughs> Welcome to the SVU. Okay. Zing. <laughs> All right, now we're in the hospital waiting room. Benson and Toots are speaking to Jamie's parents. Jamie's mom. <gasps> yeah. What? What? Yeah, what? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was on a ton of shit in the 90s. Yes. Oh, my God. She was on Sister, Sister. She was on Moesha. She was in fucking mm-hmm. Dangerous Minds. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Sitting and waiting for the top eight at eight to play so I could record on a tape deck Gangster's Paradise. You kidding me? <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> and she had a long running role as Bird on the early aughts show Soul Food. Mm. Then she did a ton of TV movies and she has an adorable little voice. Adorable little face. Oh, She's so yeah. cute. She is. So Jamie's mom was working while the dad, Sam, was with Jamie. Sam says Jamie was wild all day. He was throwing fits like he was fucking possessed. 
So when Jamie finally quieted him down around 11.15 or 11.30, he brought him to the church. Sam thought it would be good if Father Hendry prayed over him. Benson asked Jamie's mom, Lori Ann, if she was okay with that. She tells Benny and Toots that she and Sam are Jamie's foster parents and that his birth mom wanted church to be a part of his life, so they tried to respect that. Sam tells them they were praying with the father. A woman was holding Jamie's hand and then she couldn't find his pulse. He stopped breathing and they couldn't wake him up. Benson asks to see their right hands. Neither of them have a ring on. Jamie's mom tells that he detectives where the church is and Toots gives them a card in case they think of anything else. Benny has to be at court soon so Benny has to book. Toots is going to partner up with Munch and says it's about time Munch got his bony ass up for some religion and I was like ooh this is a Munch and Toots episode but it fucking wasn't really. At the Church of the Divine Blessing, Munch and Toots are chatting with Father Hendry. He tells them through the oboe from the 1940s Peter and the Wolf cartoon that Jamie and his dad got (laughs) lots of comfort at the church. (laughs) Like I had a fucking baritone voice. That was when I learned what an oboe was. Okay. Hendry tells them Jamie had demons. He would have fits where he would shout, swear, foam at the mouth. Sarcastic atheist Munch asks, and this was the devil's work? The father says medicine couldn't heal him, but their prayers could. Just then we hear a woman's voice. Then why is he dead? Excuse me? Boom. It's Jamie's caseworker, Mariel Plummer. She's standing in the doorway, creeping in on this conversation, and she's very upset. This fucking woman. (laughs) She always plays like the neurotic. I love her. This is Julie. Oh my God. Wait, uh, let me get there. Let okay, me get there. Let me yeah. get there. Okay, Christmas cookie. This is Julie Haggerty. Christmas cookie. <laughs> this is Julie Haggerty. She was in Airplane, Airplane 2, What About Bob, Freddie Got Fingered, Malcolm in the Middle, Happy Endings, Wilfred, New Girl, Grace and Frankie, Family Guy. The comedy mm-hmm. list goes on and on, but she is a TNG friendship fucking icon. She plays Ryan mm-hmm. Reynolds, aka Chris Brander's mom, Carol, in the movie Just Friends. <laughs> Yes. Be Be yourself. yourself. (laughs) Anyway, she's very serious here. This is fucking SVU, all right? Yeah. Joyce? (laughs) Joyce? She comes in. She's Jamie's caseworker from ACS, Mariel Plummer, and she's pissed. She found out about Jamie's death from his foster parents and came right down. This fucking father goes, Jamie's in a better place now. Don't. get me started on this shit. Mariel doesn't like it either Mm -hmm. and says the better place is home with his parents. Munch asks her in her professional opinion, if Jamie was possessed by the devil, he's such a little fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Jamie had ADHD, a conduct disorder and fucking epilepsy, which would explain Mm -hmm. all of the quote unquote behaviors, the possession behaviors. She tells them Mm -hmm. to go talk to Jamie's doctor. So Munch and Toots go to speak with Dr. Engels. We've met him a couple of times before. Engels said Jamie's disorders exacerbated each other, making him a real handful. Mm -hmm. The doctor worked with him for years. Jamie was in therapy for his ADHD and took medicine for his seizures, and he was improving. While they're having this conversation, they're watching a video of Jamie interacting with Engels and Plummer, his caseworker. Engels tells the detectives that Jamie was really fond of Plummer. They got along really well. And so at this point, I was like, what did she do to him? Mm -hmm. Engels explained that Jamie's epilepsy was under control, but also says that if he stopped or mixed his meds, he could have died from a seizure. Jamie's foster parents had been educated on how to medicate and how to handle a seizure. But over the past few months, they looked for answers to Jamie's problems, quote, elsewhere. Barf. A month ago, Engels told Sam, the foster dad, to leave the church or leave Engel's practice. And they chose to stick with the church. Ew. And I was like, this is fucking triggering. Back at the precinct, daddy and the kids catch up on the case deets. <laughs> what? <laughs> I love that. It was funny. It was just wild. <laughs> Cragen reads in the file that Doc Engels noted that the COD could have been an epileptic seizure. Stabler thinks Jamie is dead because he wasn't medicated and his parents used faith healing. Okay, did Christopher Maloney have a time where he was dyeing his hair dark? Because did you not clock that? I did not. That shit was black. Like, you couldn't <gasps> see through it at all. It was, like, visibly darker. Oh, my God. So... Like, he was trying that on for a minute or something. I'm, I'm, I cannot wait to see next episode to see, just to see if it's still there. Because shit was thinning a little bit, you mean? Like, last episode I saw him when he was like, you did the right thing. I could see through his hair. 
Mm. And then this, I was like, this is, his hair is black. Okay, so this is my assumption with that. And it's all based on Housewives. In this episode of Real Housewives of New Jersey, Teresa Judice's brother, Joe Gorga, gets in a fight with her husband, now ex-husband, Joe Judice. They like attack each other and they get in this physical altercation. When they get done, they're like, oh my God, there's like black smears everywhere. What is all these, what are all these smears all over the place? And yeah. Joe Gorga's wife, Melissa runs his hat over and he puts his hat on really fast. He used spray in yeah. his hair to like color his scalp darker so yeah. that he couldn't see his hair thinning. And then he ended up admitting it later. So I wonder if it was something like that. Yeah, it had to have been because yeah. it looked thicker. And, and so I was like, I wonder if he was like trying that on for a little bit before he went full. I'm a bald guy. Yeah, I know. Joey Gorga did the same thing. He ended up shaving his head like the next season. Mm-hmm. Hi to uh, any of you Bravo listeners. Bald boys. <laughs> no, there was there was somebody who mentioned the pod in a Housewives Facebook group that I'm in. And I'm like, oh my God, hi. And she's like, fuck game. Keep her. She didn't say fuck game. She was just like, keep bringing it up. So I was like, Gabe hates when I talk about Housewives. And she's like, I love it. <laughs> okay. Whispering Aileen's. She's like, fuck Gabe. Fucking kill her. Take that morale knife. Fucking stab her in the throat the next time you see her. Keep talking about housewives. HW for life. Turn into a housewives (laughs) podcast. Okay. Huang starts explaining the lore of faith healing and how people don't get the results they want from doctors, so they turn to God. Jamie was never going to not have epilepsy, but the guy who went to seminary school, not medical school, can promise them a bullshit cure, so they're like, "Mm, we'll Mm -hmm. try that. Then when it doesn't fix it, he can call that the Lord's will. Benny thinks Lorianne didn't buy into the church, though. Craigan wants the marks on Jamie's chest explained. Remember the finger and ring impressions Mm -hmm. that were there? Mm -hmm. Stabler brings up a Milwaukee case where a boy was held down at a church during a prayer session, which could explain the markings. Mm -hmm. Benny wants to give a visual... Of that, they always do this, but she wants to give a visual. So she bear hugs Craig in from behind really hard to show how the marks could have happened. She's like, see, if you do this, and then the impression. And then she starts to let go and Craig and goes, uh, thank you. I enjoyed that, which I feel like was a Dan Florek ad lib because they do that shit all the time and they pretend like it's totally normal. And she kind of gave a little smile that I was like, I think Dan Florek added that like, I enjoyed that. (laughs) They haven't been able to reach Jamie's birth mom yet, but Munch has got some background on Father Hendry. Hendry used to be the minister at Sacred Spirit Church and he left over religious differences. Cregan splits up assignments. He sends Munch and Toots to go to Sacred Spirit to get info on Hendry. Now we're at Sacred Spirit Church. A woman tells Munch and Toots that Hendry was with them for a lot of years and was pretty popular. He left because he was drawn to a more, quote, charismatic form of worship. He thought people needed more drama in their faith is exactly what she said. Mm. She tells them about the Toronto blessing from the 90s. They claimed they could cast out demons and heal the sick and speak in tongues, etc. Like, this is totally like the church I went to. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It seduced Jamie's dad and they followed Hendry to the new church. She doesn't think that Hendry would intentionally cause any harm. She thinks that Hendry's deluded but is sincere and really believes this stuff. Munch clocks a picture of Hendry and there is a ring on his right hand. He asks the lady if Hendry always wears it and she says he does because it was his grandpa's and the music gets all swelly. Uh-oh. Hendry, Toots, and Munch are in an interview room. Munch and Toots show Hendry the photos matching his ring to the marks on Jamie's body. They are his grandpa's initial and he's all nervous. He's like really... His acting is, is, I don't know, he's like, no, what? <laughs> no. And he's got that like deep voice. Mm-hmm. Henry, he's like, I don't want that ring anymore. <laughs> and then he's like, the demons and Jamie were powerful. I had to fight them. Munch and Toots tells Henry that he crushed the life out of Jamie, Ugh. killing him. And he's like, no. Then Henry starts crying and says, God, forgive me. He says he was only trying to help and he must have held him too tight. He saw the mark his ring made and he took it off. Jesus mm. Christ. That's why he doesn't wear it anymore. Craigan comes in and tells Toots not to take Hendry into booking just yet. They need to talk to Coroner Warner first. And She's got some info. Oh my God. You mean this isn't solved at the 10 minute mark? <laughs> what? We solved it. To the bar. <laughs> 35 minutes of just half beers. <laughs> we got 35 minutes. Oh, so just half beers then? <laughs> 15 half beers each. Okay, that works. <laughs> now we're at Corner Warner's office. She shows Munch and Toots some autopsy findings. Microscopic cotton fibers were found in Jamie's lungs and stomach, along with traces of foam, rubber, and fire retardant. He could have been smothered with a cushion or a cheap pillow. 
Jamie's impressions from the ring are super deep and clear. That would not have happened with living skin. See, I knew that was weird. I know. That was yeah. the first thing I thought in the beginning, too. I'm like, why would they be there? Unless... It was a post-mortem mm-hmm. thing. But then they said the, the shallow fucking Yeah, they, they, fuck, yeah, they fucked that it up. Was a, they fucked up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> fucking Jeremy. Ugh. Quit finger-banging this fucking episode. <laughs> 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 so Jamie had been dead for an hour or so when he got to the church. Mm. What? CSI and the detectives are searching the Dufoy residence. Munch and Toots are in Jamie's room, and Lorianne is in there with them, but Sam's out making funeral arrangements. Toots pulls a fresh pillowcase off Jamie's pillow, which is made of foam, and finds a big old bite mark on it. Munch finds blood on Jamie's mattress. Mm-hmm. Lorianne says it couldn't be blood. Jamie must have spilled chocolate milk or something. Oh, well, we'll just take you at your word. We're not going to get it tested or anything. Like, come on. She can't believe they think that she or her husband could have hurt Jamie. CSU mm-hmm. Ryan Lush Green Rolling Irish Hills O'Halloran comes in <laughs> with a pillowcase from the trash. It's got tear marks that match the bite marks on the pillow Toots found. Mm-hmm. Just They hold it up and he's like, a perfect match. A, a perfect match. <laughs> a perfect match. <laughs> to the bar. To the pub. To the bar. <laughs> to the pub. Half beers on me. Your old friend O'Halloran. I'm Irish. We drink full beers around here. <laughs> Just then, Sam the dad comes in and asks, what's going on? We can barely hear toots over the goddamn violins, but he says, we just found your murder weapon. I'm talking Mm -hmm. about this pillow. Perfect match. Precinct interview rooms. Toots has Daddy Sam and Munch has Mama Lorianne. Okay. Sam tells Toots that Jamie was asleep when they took him to the church, saying that after one of his fits, it's like he's in a coma, but he always wakes up. Toots says Jamie had been suffocated with a pillow and Sam's tearing up and says that's impossible because he would never hurt Jamie. Then Toots asks about the bite marks on the pillow. Cut to the interview room with Lorianne. They're doing that thing where, you know, they ask a question and then they're asking the same exact question in the other room. So then the other person that they're not talking to answers. It's very Mm -hmm. cool. It's very cool camera (laughs) fucking work. It keeps you keeps you engaged. (sighs) I hate myself. Um, (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Cut to the interview room with Lorianne. She says when Jamie has a fit, he goes crazy and will bite anything within reach. Munch says that doesn't explain the foam and fibers they found in Jamie's lungs, but she does not believe him that that's what they found. Mm-hmm. Like she thinks he's copping her, which, you know, reasonable. Cut to Sam. Toots slaps the pick of those very things on the table. Wild how these conversations line up so well. Do you think they're like in their head, like one? Five. They're all like, they have the choreographed. A five, six, seven, eight. They tap on the walls. He accuses Sam of smothering Jamie. You were at the end of your rope. You held the pillow over his face until he stopped moving. Sam is really crying now, begging Toots to stop, saying he loved Jamie. Mm-mm, says Toots, you killed him and you took him to the church to cover it up. Cut to Lori Ann. She says Sam would never hurt Jamie. Well, in response to that, Munch brings up the phone records. Sam called her around 11 p.m. that night because Jamie was out of control. She couldn't leave work because she had customers. Cut back to Sam. He He's crying, saying he only wanted Jamie to be still. Then he stopped moving. Oh, my God. Mm. Mm. Hendry had woken Jamie up before. They thought he could do it again. So that's why they took him to the church. Lorianne mm-hmm. busts into the room and tells Sam not to say anything else. They're getting a fucking lawyer. Too late. Or is it? Detective me says because he never <laughs> directly said he put the pillow on his face. So I'm like, are they going to wiggle mm-hmm. in there? Wiggle in there. That's what I said. Sam keeps... (laughs) Sam keeps crying and saying, I tried so hard not to hurt him and that he's sorry. I believe Sam is genuinely sorry. At this point, I'm like, oh my God, did he accidentally kill him? But like, I believe that he really loved him. In the squad room now, Novak, Huang, and Toots are going over all the info. Toots tells Novak that Sam had brought Jamie into Hendry after he had a seizure in the past and was in postictal shock, which is a semi-comatose state. So Hendry wouldn't have necessarily known that Jamie was already dead when they brought him in this time. Cragen comes in, Jamie's birth mom is there, and he wants to know what he can tell her. Novak says he can tell her that they just caught Jamie's killer. Ugh. 
Mm. All right, cut to Cragen's office. Jamie's birth mom is in there crying super hard. She's fucking mm-hmm. super pissed, of course. Bitch, she was also on Living Single and Encino Man. Oh my God. That, okay, yeah. Yeah. I was like, I know this chick. She crushed this scene. Yeah. yeah. She's wondering why she wasn't told about what happened to Jamie. Toot says that they tried to call her, but her phone was disconnected. But she said she fucking learned about it on TV. And then Toots is like, didn't ACS contact you? And she's like, where do you think this all fucking started? Mm. Who do you think took Jamie from me and put him with those freaks? Craigan tells her that if she has any info on Sam and Lorianne, she needs to tell him. She says that Jamie told her that they hurt him. She reported that to his caseworker, Plummer, but Plummer didn't do anything about it. She just went and saw the notebook with her son and his friends. <laughs> She's like... <laughs> Remember that from the Honey, movie? don't you drive a Range Rover? Aren't those bad for the environment? <laughs> Jamie's mom blames Jamie's death on Plummer and the city, and they're going to pay for it. And Toots tells her that suing them isn't going to bring Jamie back, and she gets pissed and says to Toots, have you ever fucking lost a child? You think this is about money? Cut to the precinct. Munch says, unfortunately, it does seem to be about money, but like, whatever. Okay. She can't bring her son back is what she's saying. So she's like, someone needs to pay in some way. And the way that our fucking system works, Mm -hmm. it's like, that's the only way she's going to get any retribution, even though it's not going to do anything, but she's not going to, what's she going to do? Sit there on her hands and be like, well, I guess he's gone. They took her son. Yeah. Tamara had been arrested for credit card fraud and shoplifting. And this is what Munch is saying is like, it does seem to be about money. You can have a record and still be pissed that your Mm -hmm. child died Mm -hmm. in the system. Jamie had been originally removed from the home when his little sister died in the bathtub when Tamara was talking Mm -hmm. on the phone. The courts ruled it an accidental death, but ACS did a precautionary removal of Jamie. And I'm like... That sucks. I mean, I wonder what happens like IRL with stuff like that. Yeah, I don't know. Because it's so, in my experience with CPS in Wisconsin, it is so difficult to get a kid pulled. Even if it's like a temporary, Mm -hmm. they're like, oh, we're just doing this precautionary, whatever. If it was ruled accidental, it just doesn't make sense that it would be like, well, just in case, you know, for an investigation, like that's not how that they would maybe set up where they're doing visits and investigating, but taking him out of the home. I don't know. I mean, they already did investigate and it was Mm -hmm. ruled accidental. So it's, it's weird to me. Novak says they need to check out ACS just in case. Because if ACS is liable, that means their case against Sam could be weakened. So now we're at the Administration for Children's Services, ACS. Novak and Toot speak with Plummer. She tells them that Tamara has tried to sue ACS before and hasn't been successful. She's that social worker that's like, oh, the mom cares. What a bitch. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Plummer says that Jamie never told her about the abuse from his foster parents and that she thought they were good parents. Toot says that good parents don't kill their kids. You know, Plummer then says that Sam probably snapped because Jamie was difficult to deal with, which I was like, blink, blink. I mean, and isn't that what Sam, one, already said? And two, are you using that as an excuse? Mm -hmm. She says that she never saw any evidence at all that Sam was unstable. Plummer also says when she visited, Jamie was always happy, clean, and seemed pretty fond of his foster parents. Plummer says that Sam doesn't work. He took care of Jamie and Lorianne brought in the money. So they were married really young. Apparently, Sam was a college basketball starter and was about to be drafted to the NBA, but had a knee injury that, quote, put an end to the dreams. And Lorianne stood by him. At this time, Toots gets a call and walks off. Plummer tries to give Novak Jamie's case file, but Novak says she can't take it without getting a subpoena first. And then Plummer's like, well, it's here whenever you need it. Buy the book. Toots comes back and says that the call was from the crime lab. They got something for them to check out. We better get over there. Toots and Novak go to the crime lab to get updates from the taro technician, Miguel. Miguel checked the perfectly grill-marked LUDs. <laughs> Before Sam called Lorianne, he called the child abuse hotline and the call was recorded. So they listened to the call and in it, Sam is saying that he can't deal with Jamie anymore and you can hear Jamie screaming in the background and breaking shit and whatever. And Sam's yeah. like freaking out. He's like, help me. Yeah. The hotline employee tells him if he's not calling to report child abuse, he needs to call his caseworker. But Sam says that Plummer never answers and he wants Jamie out of the house now. This is an emergency situation. I can't get a hold of that bitch. Mm -hmm. Sam's 
phone records show that he had tried to call Plummer four times the day Jamie died, and all of the calls were longer than 20 seconds. This means that he either talked to Plummer or left voicemails. Toots thinks that it's very interesting that Plummer never mentioned any of those calls to them. Hmm. The way he says it, he's like, that's interesting. You know, how toots. <laughs> yeah, it's a I don't do a good toots. That's interesting. <laughs> Novak is going to put a rush on the subpoena for records and wants toots to get all of Plummer's case files. We'll see what else she forgot to tell us. <laughs> oh, I bet it's something. I bet there's something she didn't say. Something to move the plot along? Maybe. <laughs> Perhaps. Tyra Miguel, Munch, and Toots look through Plummer's records on her computer. Plummer recorded that she visited Jamie every month, but that information was all put mm. into the system yesterday. Mm -hmm. This means that she altered the files or went into them the day before when Novak and Toots came by. Mm -hmm. Just then Plummer comes in and I busted out laughing at this point because I thought they had the computer in the Taru lab, but they're just sitting at her desk in the office. <laughs> yeah. She's like, what are you doing? Yeah, she comes in. She's like, oh my God, my sack lunch. You knocked it on the floor. I don't know. And everybody else in the office is just politely working and rubbernecking the detectives. Anyway, she comes in fucking pissed. She's like, what are you doing? I gave you everything you need. And Munch is like, yeah, you know, we thought it was super cool to see how you input six months of records in one day. So mm -hmm. she says she was checking the files for the subpoena to make sure that everything was just tidied up. Not cool, mm -hmm. lady. Mm -hmm. Munch arrests her for tampering with public records and Toots adds that she's also being arrested for reckless endangerment in the death of Jamie. We go to Craig and Novak walking and talking on the bustling New York City streets. It's scarf season, friends, and these two are no exception. <laughs> scarf them up! It's okay. <laughs> Slop them up! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So they're doing this walk and talk. Cragen says that Plummer's arrest will make it harder to convict Sam because he could blame Plummer and he'll get off with nothing. The reasoning here is that Sam asked for help but wasn't given any. Novak's got to figure out who to try first. She doesn't want to plead Sam out because he fucking killed a kid. Yeah. If she tries him first, she can't have Plummer testify without incriminating herself. But Novak doesn't want to give her immunity. Ugh, what a rock and a hard mm -hmm. place. Mm-hmm. She decides that she needs to catch the little fish before the big one and heads off to schedule Plummer's court date before anything else can happen. Now in the office of the district attorney, Plummer's lawyer, Carolyn Maddox, and Novak speak about Plummer's case. Maddox says it's fucking stupid for Novak to clog up the courts because Plummer made a few clerical errors. And Novak's like... Clog up, Plummer? <laughs> oh, oh my God, I didn't even... Clogging up the courts with your turd of a clerical error, you dumb bitch. Clog it up. Take a dump in these courts and flush it the way our forefathers intended. Benjamin Franklin. The right. poop claws. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> That's a Christmas movie with Tim Allen. <laughs> He's just oh, a turd shit. that grows a beard and he can't shave it for the life of him. It should be the second amendment is the poop amendment. <laughs> Number two. Get Number it? Number two. <laughs> We are 40-year-old women. <laughs> I'm 41. I'm 39. And together um, we make 40. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Novak's like, um, these weren't errors. Fucking Plummer made changes to documents to hide that she recklessly endangered a child. Jamie. Mm -hmm. Maddox says that Plummer was tricked by a, quote, nutcase who murdered a kid and then asked a voodoo priest to bring him back to life. And I was like, fuck, lady. Way harsh, Ty. But Maddox is like, whatever, though, I'll make a deal. <laughs> a year of probation for falsifying records and all other charges dropped. And Novak's like, no, no thanks. She wants Plummer to plead guilty to felony reckless endangerment. Then Maddox gives Novak a motion to dismiss the endangerment charge against Plummer based on the 14th Amendment. The due process clause. Maddox is like, I'll see you at the herring. All right, now we're at the hearing. Maddox argues that due process clause does not require a state agency to protect citizens from private violence and says, therefore, there is no case against Plummer. Novak says that the ruling also says that, quote, a state agency isn't required to protect its citizens against violence and other mishaps that are, and she quotes, not attributable to the conduct of its employees. Plummer definitely had a part in Jamie's death because of her negligence. And then the judge is like, Maddox, dude, your shit is like helping Novak here. Maddox says that, no, 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 Novak is actually misreading the Constitution. What it says. What is, is this, the Bible? Plummer <laughs> 
If Plummer is found culpable, then who is next? And goes on to argue things like, what about firefighters that don't save somebody from getting burned or a cop failing to prevent a homicide? And I'm like, um, what? What? I mean, it's kind of, I can see the logic in a way because it's like these people were vetted. She, quote unquote, did her job, which to say that she actually visited, like that's where that gets tripped up is that she fucked with the But paperwork. if a firefighter goes to a fire and is not able to save a person, that isn't like them failing to do their, it's, it's, I think it's way different. I mean, I agree with you, but I can also see where they're just trying to put a little slip of, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. fucking crazier shit has happened in the legal system and that's why that little tiny shit can get brought up look what could happen look what could blow up what is that called um the slippery slope Mm -hmm. fallacy oh yeah and it's used all the time in legal arguments yeah that's why it's such a huge deal when any precedent gets set. right novak's like your honor that's a fucking reach some cases have attributed a kid in foster care as being pretty much the same as a prisoner in the state custody and therefore state officials like Plummer are not only liable for the harm of the child suffers but also for failing to act where there is potential harm. The judge agrees with Novak and rules that Plummer has to stand trial. Night night, bitch. <laughs> Go to bed. Now we're in the trial. Slop him up. <laughs> Scarf him up. <laughs> Sam is on the stand. Novak is talking to him. Novak asked Sam about when he called the hotline the night Jamie died and the number of times he called Plummer. So he called Plummer four times that day and three times the week before. Plummer never returned any of his calls. And he says if she had called or visited, she would have seen that Jamie was out of control and that Sam was struggling. And he says none of this would have happened if she had just done that. And I'm like, mm, I don't know, dude. I mean, yeah, you know, he, you needed help. Mm-hmm. But you don't just, like, get to kill key people. Right. Now it's Maddox's turn to talk to Sam. She asks why Sam didn't call 911. The child abuse hotline operator did suggest that. Sam says he didn't know. He didn't know why he didn't call a neighbor or take Jamie to the emergency room or do anything else. And then Sam's like, I also thought I could handle the situation. And then Maddox says, how? By smothering Jamie with a pillow? Obviously, it's an objection from Novak. Maddox says that this argues credibility and that the jury has the right to know that Sam is facing criminal charges for the death of Jamie and therefore has an excellent motive to lie. And the judge is like, I'll allow it and fucking you need to answer the question, Sam. Sam asserts his Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination and then Maddox is like rolls her eyes and has no other questions. She hates that someone else is trying to use the Constitution. Right. I mean, all that does, though, is like tell people that you're whatever i know but it's i know technically i know and then it's like then you have like 12 people that are like just regular idiots like us that are like "Mm, i know what that means i know what that i was just i know what that means (laughs) strike it from the record right okay Mm -hmm. pretend like you didn't hear that okay there's some guy in the fucking eighth seat fucking chugging a four loco or whatever like (laughs) i'm gonna solve this case Oh my god. You guys, if you haven't fucking watched Jury Duty yet. Yeah, right. I swear. No, that's your memory. <laughs> no, I can't take your memory. <laughs> Plummer takes the stand and Maddox is questioning her. Plummer has been a social worker for 18 years. She started this off because she wanted to help people and make a difference in a way. She says that most people aren't happy she's there because she's only called when a family is in crisis and she has to be the one to take the kids away. She's been verbally abused before, mugged, chased out of the apartments with knives, and she says she keeps doing it because someone has to look out for the kids. Maddox asks what went wrong with Jamie. Plummer says she made a mistake. She thought Sam and Lorianne were good foster parents and that Jamie was safe and she had other more what she thought were urgent cases that she had to give her attention to. She says she was wrong and she'll never forgive herself. So now Novak cross-examines. Novak's fucking sassy this whole time, by the way. Of course. You say Jamie wasn't in danger, but Sam called and left a bunch of messages. Plummer says that the voicemail said Jamie was acting up and Sam wanted to talk. She didn't fucking think it was urgent. Novak is like, Sam called four effing times that day. You had no idea what was going on in that house. You hadn't visited in months. You fucking forgot about Jamie. Plummer's angry and says she cared about Jamie. She said she didn't call back because she had a more urgent case. Novak is like, I thought you cared about Jamie. What fucking case was so important? Then the music gets all swelly. Plummer's eyes get all watery and she's like, a father came home from prison and beat his wife to death with a hammer. Then he killed himself in front of his two children. That's what I was working on. That's why I didn't return Sam's calls that day. I made a terrible mistake, but don't accuse me of not caring. And then Novak's face was like, um, nothing further. Um, no further questions. I'm going to keep this sassy tone because I don't know how to circle back from it. (laughs) 
right. So Maddox speaks to the jury. She outlines how hard it is to be a social worker and how bogged down Plummer was with 20 cases when the recommended load is 12, which this, this is, is true. Like constant. Maddox says the system is weighed down. It's so fucking true. But like, yeah, totally cops need tanks. <laughs> like, fuck off. You know what they I mean? To, yeah. Jesus Christ. This is all about what um, defunding the police is about. It's like not it's not about not having right. police. It's about having other resources like cops do not need to be the ones that have the burden of all of this. They're not equipped mm-hmm. for that shit. Oh, God. Maddox says that Plummer admits she made a mistake by altering her records and that she is sorry for it. Mm-hmm. But they need to find her guilty of that, not the charge of endangering Jamie's life. Maddox wants to blame the system and Sam and that Jamie fell through the crack in the system. Mm, I don't like that, though. I don't like that verbiage. That's what they said. That's what she said. I know. I'm not saying I don't like the way you said that specifically. Oh, okay. I thought you were. Oh, I'm saying I don't like that because it's Mm. just such a it's a cop out. Mm -hmm. It sounds really flippant. It's the thoughts and prayers of disregarding something that happens to a kid in the system. You know what I mean? Like fell through the cracks. Patch the cracks. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and then it's Novak's turn now. And she says, Plummer is the crack in the system that failed Jamie. Crack in the system. That was Plummer's nickname (laughs) in high school. (laughs) She was the one person whose job it was to protect him. And she failed to do her job. One visit or one return phone call could have possibly kept Jamie alive. Finding Plummer guilty would send a message to the state and the city and whatever that the death of one child is unacceptable. Back at the precinct, Novak's updating Craig and Toots. Plummer was found guilty for record tampering, but not for child endangerment. The jury agreed with Maddox that Plummer was under Mm -hmm. crazy pressure and made an understandable mistake. Novak's nervous she's going to blow Sam's case now and wants to be sure that someone is made responsible for Jamie's death. Corner Warner walks in right on cue. Did you see how she walked in and went like this while Novak was talking? Was like, well, I have something. (laughs) She was like, what are you saying? Well, I have the answer. She like craned her head. Yeah, she may have something to help the case. Clear evidence of abuse from the apartment. And fucking toots is like, why did it take so long? Excuse me? Stop talking, mm-hmm. man. <laughs> As in man person. Corner Warner doesn't have time for your shit. She tells them that the blood stain on the mattress and other particles found indicate that someone was hurt with a cheese grater. Oh my God. Mm. The blood stain was maybe a few days old, but the blood belonged to a pubescent female. Toots slowly puts it all together. They had a gal in that apartment. Where the (laughs) hell is she? (laughs) We're all wondering that, bud. You got it. Craig tells Toots to go speak with Plummer about it. Maybe she made another understandable mistake. Snip, snip, snap. There wasn't a single behind the glass in this. Did you notice that? I thought there was one. Uh Uh-uh. Or was that in the next? I started... Taking notes the next episode, maybe that was it. Mm. So we cut to the scene in Mario Plummer's apartment. She's opening the front door and Toots just fucking walks in. <laughs> she's yeah. pissed to see Toots and she's like, Aren't you done harassing me? Yeah. He tells her she got off light. She's like, No, I fucking didn't. I got fired, lost my pension. I'm being dragged to fuck in the papers. I'm being threatened constantly. And Toots is like, I don't care. Who's the girl that was staying with those people? And she said, By her records, Jamie was the only child there. And Toots, who is heavily invested at this point, says, your records don't mean a damn thing. Sam sliced up a girl with a cheese grater. And at this point, I was like, was it the mom? Because Mm -hmm. I believe how fucked up Sam is about Jamie. So the cheese grater Mm -hmm. thing sounds like too sadistic for how fucked up this guy is over it. Yeah. Plummer starts to cry and says she's sorry. She had no idea that this was happening in the house. Yeah, and you didn't visit, and it's, uh, there's just failures all the way around. Mm-hmm. Her phone rings, and she answers it. Stop calling me. She's being harassed. It's a harassing phone call, and Toots grabs the phone because he doesn't have time for this shit, and he's like, yo, who the hell are you calling a bitch? Ring this number again, and we're gonna come busting in your damn door. Believe that. Fucking click. He said click. <laughs> As Toots hangs up the phone, Plummer turns around from the desk the phone was on and has a gun in her hand. She says that she's saved my, I have full body chills right now. She says that she has saved thousands of children and now she'll only be remembered for one. Jesus. Mm. She fucking shoots herself in the chest and Toots catches her and lays on the ground. And he's like, you didn't have to do this. Later, we're still in the apartment. Plumber's in a body bag, getting zipped up. Toots tells Corner Warner the facts of what happened with a completely deadpan affect. And Corner Warner's like, y'all right, dude? And he just goes, yeah. 
but like, are you okay? Like, he's not, he's not okay. She was like, are you all right? And he's like, I'm cool. And she's like, yeah, I know, but are you okay? <laughs> I was like, I love them. <laughs> <laughs> Just then Munch gets there and Toots sends him to ACS to find info on the girl that was staying with the Dufoys. I wish they would have hugged. This is coming from a person who really struggles to hug people, but I feel mm-hmm. like being partners, like they really could have had that. Mm-hmm. Toots leaves and says he's going to get cleaned up and then go see Sam. I'm like, oh, is Toots going to go full fucking Staves? He's leaving this scene where he just saw someone kill themselves and he knows about a kid being tortured with a cheese grater at these people's houses where another kid just died. Like, Mm -hmm. you can only get to so much before that that Stabler tea kettle starts screaming. Mm -hmm. So now we're at Rikers Island. Sam and his lawyer are there. Sam tells Toots he doesn't know what he's talking about. Of course. Uh-huh. Toots tells Sam that people who say that usually do know what they're talking about. <laughs> you uh-huh. stupid bitch. <laughs> Sam says no girl was living with them. Toots, of course, calls him a liar. And then Sam calls to the guard to come get him. And Toots is just screaming questions at him. Is she alive? What did you do with her? Where the hell is she? Now we're at the precinct. Toots updates Kragen on a little mini walk and talk. They're just circling a desk. Right. <laughs> it's just like getting their steps in around <laughs> Stabler's desk. Toots says Sam didn't fucking give a shit. Neither did Lorianne. Munch didn't find any info at ACS when he checked under Sam and Lorianne's name. But he checked under Lorianne's maiden name too. Four kids were placed with her in the last two years from a fucking private foster agency called Fresh Fields. The last one that was placed with her is a girl named Megan Rose. Megan was placed with Lorianne six months ago, but ran away a few weeks ago. Mm. Mm. ACS said that they never got the report that Megan was missing, even though the Fresh Fields agency say they sent the report over. Craigan wants Munch to check out the private foster agency and question why they kept sending kids to Lorianne if she kept losing them. Toots angrily walks off with Megan's pick and Craigan goes, Finn. And Toots says, I'm hauling her ass in. Remember that Toots name is Finn? Uh, saying it feels weird? Yeah. We're back in the precinct. Lorianne's in an interview room. She's with Toots. She admits to knowing Megan. She ran away a week after being placed with them. And she calls Megan incorrigible. She's like, that girl was incorrigible. Like, why are you doing this? Why are you? you yeah. Well, we know why you're doing it. Toots was like, um, you didn't tell us that. And she's like, yeah, it was six months ago. I didn't think it was relevant. Toots asks her about the other kids. And she says they all ran away. Lorianne says that she tried to help these kids, but they didn't want to be helped. Then she gets pissed and stands up and says, I resent your accusations, detective. Toots tells her to sit the fuck down. She gets up like she's just going to be able to leave. Like I know. There's a dead kid that was at your house and now there's a missing girl. There's blood in your Cheese grater bits. There's of, cheese grater yeah. blood at your house and there's a missing girl. Oh, this is irritating yeah. and I'm out of here. No, you're not. And he puts his finger at the end of her nose and just yeah. gently pushes her back down into her chair. Yeah, so she does sit down because it's fucking iced tea. Duh. Mm-hmm. She says she told the foster agency every time the kids ran away. Munch brings up that if the records of the runaway had actually been sent over to ACS, Lorianne shouldn't still be getting paid adoption assistance for all the kids. Her fucking bank records say she's still getting adoption assistant payments. Oh shit. She calls it a computer error, but she's getting 2K a month for kids that aren't even in her home. She keeps saying it's a mistake. Toots says that she took in runaways, treats him like shit so they'd run away again. Toots says, or did Sam kill him? And Lori says, no, nobody else would touch these kids. And Toots is like, well, somebody did touch Megan Rose's face with the fucking cheese grater. Mm. And Lori Ann's like, what are you talking about? Toots tells her that based on the blood in that room on the sheets, Megan should have been in the house the week Jamie died. Lori Ann swears that Megan was gone. She says she works so many hours at the store and doesn't know if Megan came back. Maybe she did. I don't, she doesn't know. She's a fucking full of shit, but whatever. Toots says toot says where the hell is megan now and Lorianne's like i know what you guys are trying to do you're trying to get me to hurt sam but i won't toot screams i just tell us where megan is and she yells back i don't know oh toots needs answers he goes to question sam at rikers again he shows sam a photo of megan and he's fucking intense her blood puts her at your fucking house bro but sam still won't talk toots asks if he's covering for Lorianne. if Lorianne killed jamie he says no He's like, no. <laughs> so Toots asks if Sam is covering for Lorianne, if Lorianne killed Jamie. And Sam's like, no, dude. Toots flips out. Then help me fucking find her. She's a kid, dude. Mm-hmm. Sam finally says Megan is at St. Columba's, a psych facility, because, quote, she went crazy. Mm-hmm. Toots 
runs his sweet little caring tush over to St. Columbus Psychiatric Facility. The doctor there tells him that Megan was brought to the hospital three weeks ago. She was kicking and screaming about murdered children. This woman playing the doctor, she was one of the old lady friends of the mom in Requiem for a Dream. <gasps> that They were on sitting in the lawn chairs? Yes. Yeah. yeah. She was like one of the main ones that got a lot of lines. She's been in a lot of stuff, but that's what I recognize her from. Okay. Megan was diagnosed as psychotic with paranoid features and was sedated. As soon as the meds wore off, the delusions, I am air quoting physically mm. here, the delusions returned and she would have to be medicated again. Oh my God, God forbid anyone investigate her claims. Mm -hmm. You know, they're just like, oh, this child's delusional. This kind of stuff doesn't happen in the system. The foster agency doesn't want her back because they also are like, oh, Ugh. she is a handful. So she may end up staying there for a long time. The foster parent that brought her in told the hospital that Megan would mutilate herself and that the psychotic episodes had become more frequent which obviously was to explain the cheese grater injury. Lorianne was mm. the one that dropped Megan off. Tooth tells the doctor that they should have fucking mm. listened to Megan. She was brought in the night her six-year-old foster brother was murdered. Have fun sleeping on that, lady. Mm. Tooth goes in to talk to Megan and brings up Jamie. Megan jumps up and starts freaking out and screaming at him to get away from her. The poor kid is scared. She's behaving like a cornered animal, you know, like a captive animal. Mm -hmm. Imagine how fucking insane you would feel if you saw a kid get murdered, you were yeah. physically abused, and then you were brought in and nobody believed you, and it's like hardcore medicated. It's wild. Yeah. It's wild. It's Sarah Connor shit. Mm. That unfortunately, I feel like, happened to like a lot of women. Oh. And just people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Ugh. Toots says he's not going to hurt her, but she doesn't believe him because she's been so fucking gaslit by every other adult every time she attempts to be heard. He tells Megan he knows she isn't crazy. He knows who hurt her and he knows she saw what happened to Jamie. This gets Megan to calm down and she's willing to talk to Toots. She slumps into the corner crying and tells Toots that Lorianne killed Jamie. She says Jamie was crying, then he stopped. So she went in to check on him. When she did, Lorianne was covering his face with a pillow and was screaming at him to shut up. Up. Then he stopped moving. Whew. Mm. Toots is like, girl, you're coming with me. We're leaving. And the doctor's mm -hmm. just like, where are you taking her? Toots is like, away from this place. And I'm like, but like, where are you taking her though? This doctor though, even this whole time, like didn't really, seem like she didn't really believe. It's like, where are you going yeah. with her? What do you, hey. Like, he's like, stay the fuck away. Out of what do you think you're doing? <laughs> yeah. And he's like, whoop, whoop. I'm the police. I'm taking this girl with me. We're going, I, but where are you yeah. going? Because she can't, like, the system You're, is like, we don't want her. Yeah, well, because they were told that she was fucking psychotic, and she's not. So, so they'll probably take her to ACS, not that private fucking oh, foster place. Oh, that's right. Place. She was from a private foster care for that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, first they'll probably take her to the precinct and give her food. and Sweatpants and all that. And they'll get her all comfy. <laughs> she's going to be happy yep. now. Everything is better. All of her trauma is fixed. Yeah. The way we used to do it. Yep. Instantly. Just tuck it all down. Just pat, mm -hmm. pat, pat with a fucking <laughs> little gardening shovel. <laughs> in the precinct, Lorianne is in an interview room. Toots walks in and says he has good news. They found Megan. Oh, she's like, oh, good. I hope she's doing good. Toots says, that was pretty slick of you to hide a murder witness in a, quote, loony bin. Lorianne says that Megan was obviously disturbed. Toots says Megan wasn't that disturbed because she told him what happened. He tells Lorianne that Megan told him that she saw her, as in Lorianne, kill Jamie. Lorianne tells Toots that Megan is lying, then says, who do you think a jury is going to believe, me or some teenage delinquent? Toots is like, after the jury sees how you cut up her face with a fucking cheese grater, they're going to believe her. Lorianne yells that Megan cut herself, that she's fucking psychotic. And Toots says, oh, and Jamie smothered himself too, huh? And then Lorianne says, no, that was my loser husband who did that. I've heard enough. I'm going home. What are you talking about, you stupid? Stop acting like you can just anywhere. leave. She gets up to leave, but then Sam comes out from behind the glass. Maybe that's why we thought there was behind the glass, but they weren't behind there looking. I, 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 so I know I all of your rules. <laughs> okay. He says he watched Lorianne through the two-way glass window thingy and that she told him it was an accident. He's like, you wouldn't believe what's back there. <laughs> There's so much shit. Lorianne says, you did it. You already confessed. Sam says, no, I could never hurt Jamie. I wanted him to be your fucking son. Then he kind of like realizes how fucked up uh. Lorianne is and says, you killed him and I'm not going to protect you anymore. Mm. And Lorianne says, protect me. You never protected me. You promised me everything and gave me nothing. I wasted my life on you. Remember, he was supposed to be sports and he's not. <laughs> 
he's sports, yeah. Sam is shocked and says, I loved you, Lorianne. I believed your lies. I let you hurt those kids. And then Lorianne yells, you weak son of a bitch. <sighs> Sam says, you don't give a damn about anyone. Munch reads Lorianne her rights and arrests her for Jamie's murder. After Lorianne is removed, Cragen asks Toots if he's okay. He says he's cool and looks at the ground. What's going to happen to fucking... Sam, I don't know, whatever. Anyways, Toyota, end of episode. Yeah, Toots is like, I'm cool, dude. And I'm like, Toy, no, he's not. (laughs) The end. He's not okay. But you know what? I wonder if he'll stick it out. I wonder if he'll stick it out with SVU. We'll never know. (laughs) There's no way of knowing until later. Okay, I am so sick of talking about this. I need more non-kid episodes this episode was again i'll just give the trigger warning more extreme fucking child abuse okay let's do it dennis craig puckett was born on december 6th 1961 in sock center minnesota his birth parents were just teens and his mom jerry sherwood was a ward of the state she was pressured to give him up for adoption being told he would go to a good home dennis was adopted by the jurgens family who lived right outside of the twin cities in white bear lake minnesota harold jurgens was an electrician and lois jurgens was a homemaker lois was raised in a family of 16 kids and grew up in poverty so being in a middle class marriage and maintaining that image was very important to her. Even with her efforts to keep up appearances, neighbors and family knew Lois to be a short-tempered and angry woman. She also struggled with her mental health. It was the middle of the 20th century, so the care was obviously fucked. At one point, she was hospitalized, given electroshock treatments, and diagnosed with mixed psychoneurosis. So, I looked into that a little bit. Psychologydictionary.org defines psychoneurosis as, quote, a functional personality disorder characterized by disturbing emotional symptoms such as morbid fears, obsessive thoughts, or depressive states, but without gross personality disorganization or loss of contact with reality. Hmm. There's six different categories of psychoneurosis, anxiety neurosis, depressive neurosis, obsessive compulsive neurosis, somatization, formerly known as hysterical neurosis, hysteria, Mm. anybody? Yeah. Post-traumatic stress disorder, also known as war or combat neurosis, and compensation neurosis. So her diagnosis was a combination of of a few of these. Lois was also unable to conceive children, but she and Harold wanted a family. The law prohibited them from adoption, though, due to Lois's diagnosis. And then they ended up getting around that somehow and were able to adopt a baby named Robert. Mm. Robert was a submissive and easygoing kid. He transitioned into the family seamlessly. Once officials learned of this seemingly successful adoption, they reconsidered the family and placed Dennis Puckett with the Jerkins. By this time, Dennis was one year old and had spent his first year with a loving foster mother. Dennis was a more boisterous toddler than Robert, though. Lois didn't like it, but refused to send him back. She didn't want to look like she couldn't handle it and insisted on going through with the adoption. In reality, Dennis was being severely abused at the hands of Lois. Mm. Harold witnessed this on many occasions, but did nothing to stop it. His wife claimed she was disciplining a difficult child. Just months into living with the Jurgens family, Dennis was treated at the hospital for first and second degree burns on his genitals they were deemed accidental and he was sent home accidental yeah i mean little kids get hurt you know burns on their wieners though like yeah okay this was just one of many occasions where he was treated with sexual sadism if he wet his diaper quote too much for lois's liking she would put a clothespin on the end of his penis she would also bite his genitals to the point of scarring. What? Mm-hmm. If he refused to eat something or, quote, misbehaved at the table, Lois would force feed him horseradish on his food and hold her hand over his mouth and nose to make him swallow. He would turn purple at times from not being able to breathe or swallow the intense horseradish. If he would vomit from any of this, Lois would force him to eat that. Oh my fucking God. She nicknamed him Sloppy Fat and would offer often severely starved Dennis, who was of average weight and build for his age. Dennis only gained three pounds between the ages of one and three and a half. Holy shit. She would tie him to the bed, beat him frequently, tie him to the toilet, etc. All of these different things in the name of discipline. She once made him kneel on a broomstick until he could perfectly recite the rosary. He was two. 
people noticed how Dennis was being treated and would occasionally mention it to Lois, like, hey, don't you think that's a little much? Mm-hmm. She was unapologetic in her, quote, discipline techniques. Remember, this was the 60s, and as we learned in the Dave Pelzer chaser, the term child abuse wasn't even really a thing. Yeah, Dennis couldn't meet her expectations as far as she was concerned, and this was her training him. She also made it very clear not to fuck with her to those around her. People were afraid of her, and she was pretty liberal with the threats. There was even speculation that she was responsible for the fire at Harold's parents' place, which killed her mother-in-law. Jeez. They never really got along, so. Okay. Dennis's older adopted brother, Robert, almost always was a witness to this abuse, but avoided it himself by somehow pleasing Lois. Now, of course, he wasn't treated perfectly either. Right. It wasn't... Just like with the Pelzer thing, they, like, will pick one kid. Yeah, but she was angry to everyone, but really hyper-focused on Dennis. Yeah. In April of 1965, there was a huge flood in the area from the overflowing of the Mississippi River and whatever else. It was springtime. Mm-hmm. That usually happens if there's a lot of snow, whatever. It flooded the Jurgens' home, and this amplified Lois's rage, which was always directed at Dennis. Mm. And in the early morning hours of April 11th, Dennis died. He was three and a half years old. His autopsy report revealed not only a tiny body covered in cuts and bruises, but also his cause of death, peritonitis, which is inflammation of the peritoneum normally caused by a bacterial infection either through the blood or after rupture of an abdominal organ. There was perforation found in his small bowel deemed a result from the physical abuse inflicted on him by Lois. Even with all of this evidence, the bruises, the scarring on his genitals, the brutal death, the ME marked his cause of death as deferred. What does that even mean in a coroner's report? You I know? don't know. It just means we'll deal with this later. They just couldn't wrap their minds around a middle class family having such horrific things happening in their home. Like this is genuinely a reasoning. Like people could not understand. Like everything looks fine. They seem fine. Why would that be happening? This like, is there weird. Was some like court cases where I think it was during that time they would never charge a woman with child abuse because they thought that it was impossible for a mother mm-hmm. to do that. Like so when moms were like you know like killing their children or whatever or having post part of stuff legally they just didn't even it wasn't a thing that could happen mm-hmm. just like how marital rape wasn't a thing exactly the mentality of it was fucked that didn't change to what to like 93 <sighs> i don't know something like that 93 i think it something was. ridiculous I mean, I mean i was alive because i remember hearing about it and even i was like you can't, you can't rape a wife that's your pr- that's your property <laughs> basically oh, you know God. what i mean yeah that's what that yeah. thinking boils down to 100 like they have to have sex with you so lois was not charged with Dennis's murder, but Robert was taken out of the Jurgens' home. Years later, the couple regained custody of Robert and adopted four siblings from Kentucky. They went through different channels and somehow were able to do this. Yeah, they didn't keep track like they do now, the, the internet mm-hmm. and stuff. Yeah. Then Harold and Lois relocated the family to Stillwater, Minnesota. I have family there. Mm, do you? Yeah. My Aunt Tam lives there with her husband and their kids. Well, their kids are adults now. And her abuse didn't stop. It just extended to all of the kids. She would make the kids stand barefoot in the snow, severely beat them, and use humiliation to discipline them. Lois was hospitalized again, and all the kids decided that they were getting out of there. They ran to the neighbors begging for help. These kids were finally heard and were taken out of the Jurgens' home. Harold and Lois lost all parental rights to the children and were unable to foster or adopt ever again. And it was like, that was just it. That was just it. Oh, God. Until the early 80s, Jerry Sherwood, Dennis's birth mom, now in her 30s, began searching for her son. Mm-hmm. After giving Dennis up for adoption as a teen, she went on to have four more kids and was hoping to reconnect with a healthy, happy young man and introduce him to his siblings. Mm-hmm. She eventually found his grave and Lois Jurgens. Jerry called Lois and had a nice little chat with her, being told of this unfortunate accident that took her son at three and a half. Mm-hmm. Then Lois offered to send Jerry some of Dennis's things to remember him by, which Jerry was super grateful for. Lois was like, I kept these things if this were to ever happen and I can send these to you. And she's like, oh my God, that's so kind. I would love that. Mm. When nothing arrived from Lois in the mail, Jerry called again to find that the line was no longer available and Lois and Harold had changed to an unlisted number. Okay. So then she's like, the fuck? And became extremely suspicious and determined to get some answers. Right. She tracked down Dennis's death certificate and because the cause of death had been marked deferred, or it was 20 years later and it was still marked as deferred, we'll deal with this later, what the fuck? Yeah. 
the investigation was never officially closed. Well, over a decade after Dennis's death, Jerry, who's my kind of fucking lady, took this information to the White Bear Lake Police Department and then to the media. Eventually, because of the tenacity of Jerry, Lois was arraigned in 1987. Damn. There was even testimony given by investigators that Lois's brother, White Bear Lake Police Lieutenant Jerome Zerwas, had destroyed incriminating <gasps> evidence back in 65, pointing Ooh. to Lois's responsibility in Dennis's death. Ooh, you didn't say that before. You left that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You can tell a story, you bitch. (laughs) Big Brother Robert also came forward, testified at the trial, and aided in the conviction of the now 60-something-year-old Lois Juergens. She was found guilty of third-degree murder and sentenced to a maximum of 25 years in prison. In 1995, she was released after only eight years. What? Because of good behavior. Yeah, a violent fucking criminal. Killed a child. And moved back to Stillwater with Harold. Yeah. Harold died in 2000. Although his autopsy showed no signs, Lois was suspected of causing his death by poisoning, but that could also be because people are like, oh, this is this lady who fucking murdered a kid and is out. So it could be like a folklore kind of thing. There was no proof that that was true. And then Lois died in 2013 at 87, never owning the abuse of the children and the death of Dennis. She's buried at the Union Cemetery in Maplewood, Minnesota, if anybody wants to go spit on her grave. <laughs> wow. The end. Shit. I have I don't I know I always say this. I'm like, how do I not know about this? Yeah. Especially it being in Minnesota. It's like right there. All right. Next week we have season five, episode 19, sick. Oh. Okay, so a kid makes disturbing rape and murder threats online. He accuses a billionaire toy maker of sexual abuse, and his parents were maybe paid to keep quiet. It sounds like some Michael Jackson shit. Uh, it definitely yeah. is. And we already covered Michael Jackson, <laughs> so I'm gonna have to figure out There's probably a lot of I mean there's a few keep quiet hush money yeah things that it's plucked from but like the main part is very much michael Michael Jackson. jackson if you want to hear our michael jackson shit i will throw at what i think that was in season one that we did that i think so yeah Well, that's, that's that's it. That's all we know. Do, do, do. Rate and review us. Email us at svupod at gmail.com. Send us stuff at P.O. Box 176 DeForest, Wisconsin 53532. And check out our Instagram at svupod. Also, we have a ton of merch at svupod.com. Join the Facebook group svupod elite squad and our little chat group called Walk and Talk. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag a little bit loud for all your indie pod needs. And join the Patreon. We got a ton of content. Tons of fucking content. We're good to you guys. And you're good to us. <laughs> Love you. Love you with jokes and content. Ew. Ew. So Cynthia sent a message and she made a suggestion that we could do a little segment in, I mean, in intermesh episodes, or I was thinking in like friendship boat episodes where mm-hmm. we do, you know how like Dr. Laura or Dear Abby or any of those people. Dan like, Savage. Yeah. Savage and Love. And she suggested we do something like that. And I don't know. I, I think thought that's it was so fun. I would love people to like say like, what would you guys do? If-? And then we could answer it. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be fun. Hey, TNG, my husband cheated on me. Like, what should I do? And we'd be like, kill him. <laughs> and that's <Yeah>. it. <laughs> and that's the whole thing. Yeah. Idea. No, we don't have to do it serious. Yeah, that's a good idea. Should we do that? You guys, we're going to take a little break like we do between seasons. seasons. But for the Patreon, we do little bonus friendship boats so that, you know, our patrons aren't missing out. And so we'll do that for that. If you need advice from two unreliable, <laughs> emotionally unstable, not great sources, <laughs> mentally ill, best friends, <laughs> send us a little, send us an email, shoot us a little note, and we can keep you anonymous. It's not an advice column. It's a bad if advice like, column. If you are not sure what to do in a situation and you just need to know what's the absolute opposite of what I should do, hey, send us a little, shoot us a little email. We'll give our advice and you'll go, (laughs) okay, anything but that. Good. Got it. Now I know what not to do. You know, sometimes I think sometimes both of us give decent advice, but I don't want to be married to Mm -hmm. that. I don't want to be married, period. So it works out. (laughs) Thanks for that. (laughs) Thanks for laughing at that. (laughs) That was funny. It was funny. Okay, love you. Bye. Chris Brander, everybody. Your names are Clark and Darla. <laughs> Dusty Lee skis in his jeans. I'm on the Paracoon diet, so I need salmon, like, now. Darla. <laughs> what ham did you slap? <sighs> Not the ham I just bought. Daddy, we're down. <laughs> Novak's going to put a rope. I said it like the ladies' man. Ooh, it's a lady. <laughs> but 
It's kind of it's the a, same. A <laughs> little bit. Why don't you turn around and show me that juicy butt? <laughs> and to our Elite Squad patrons, Sonia W., Marissa M., Elki H., Annie G., Mary D., Andrew, Andrew, Rebecca D., Miranda B., Shelby W., Miranda B., Shelby W., Lex, Emily T., Kayla W., Mallory G., Bonita R., Marin, Vanessa, Amy P., Melanie G., Courtney W., Ursula S., Kate H., Uliana, Kayla J., Catherine M., Kate P., Jessica S., Nicole M., Acacia V., Katarina G., Danielle W., Kelsey D., Jana M., Joshua H., Tammy J., Bear, Crystal, Lucy M., Trisha S., Sam D., Mac Attack, Casey W., Abby W., Alexis J., Lauren T., Kaylin B., Camille Z., Nisha G., Maggie D., Kaylin, KDM, Eliza W., Crystal B., Jessica P., Zan and J., Nada M., Sin, Christina D., Madison H., Emily, oh, what a night! Late December, <laughs> December back, back in 63. What a very special time for me. What a lady, what a night. <laughs> oh, I... Okay, we can keep going. Had a funny feeling in my wiener. When she walked in the room. Oh, God. I'm so hungry. Um, Not too soon. Victoria B. Scout G. Oh, what a night. Melissa M. Desiree D. Drew B. Beep, beep, beep. Amberly C, Louise M, Sapphire, Monica K, Katie S, Trish S, no relation, Angela D, <laughs> Brenna T, Andrea M, Natasha S, Tashi E, Andrea H, Miranda B, Al H, Al, <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know. Al H, <laughs> stupid. Al, <laughs> <laughs> Nikki R. Sarah J, Caitlin S, and Emily Big Old D. <laughs> Emily Big Fat D. We love you. Emily Big, big, big Flobbity D. D. <laughs> Emily Couple Droplets in the Front of Your Pants D. <laughs> Did you give? Did you give? Yeah. Did you give? <laughs> no, these pants, they come like that. Hold the door! <laughs> Hey, we love and appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for joining and fucking helping us be able to do what we'd love to do. And you guys are great. Oh, what a night. Hey, 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 back in 69. <laughs>